You are now listening to the Black Girl Nerds Podcast. Five, six, seven, eight. Holla, boys and girls, it's the BGN. Coming from the Marvel world to the DC friends. All the way from Hollywood to the PCN. She defends everyone from sleazy men. Born apologize for spitting Shonda Rhimes. The space that we make is never colonized. We're talking games and movies and actors. Words. Better shake your booties for Black Girl Nerds. Thanks for tuning into this episode of the Black Girl Nerds Podcast. My name is Jamie and I am your host for this episode. In this episode, we are proud to bring to you actor, writer, producer, showrunner, and DJ, comedian Diallo Riddle. He is known for his work on two fantastic shows that are currently running called Sherman's Showcase and Southside. He received an Emmy Award nomination for his work on Late Night with Jimmy Fallon and two NAACP Image Awards nominations for his writing on Sherman's Showcase and the other for his directing on Southside. Riddle is best known for his co-starring role as Stevie in the NBC sitcom Marlon and has been the co-creator of several different TV series. We geek out on all things TV and comedy with Diallo on this episode of the Black Girl Nerds podcast. So sit back, relax, and enjoy. Thanks for tuning into this episode of the Black Girl Nerds podcast. My name is Jamie and I am your host. I am so excited for this interview, you guys. This is a long time coming. Uh, We actually talked with this gentleman and his writing partner a few years back, Um, but this time we are talking directly one-on-one with comedian, actor, writer, multi-hyphenate, Diallo Riddle. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I, I can't say how big a fan of the uh, of the site and really the movement uh, uh, that you guys have started here. I, I'm all on board. So, you know, most people, I mean, like this, this sounds uh, like I'm conceited. I swear I'm not. Most people come to me say, hey, can we do an interview with you? I think in this case, I came to you guys like, hey, would you, will you guys interview me? Because I just want to be a part of the family. That's all oh. that's important to me. Well, we appreciate having you, and it's a pleasure to be able to talk to you today. So thank you so <laughs> thank much you. for being a part of this podcast. Uh, so, you know, the work that you are doing is, again, it's important, it's special, and what you're doing for the culture, in my opinion, is heroic. And every superhero has their origin story. So <laughs> <laughs> did you get started in writing first, or was it performing where it all began for you? <sighs> Okay, uh, you know, to talk to my mom, performing came first. I don't remember it, but they said as early as three and four, I would stand up on the coffee table and sing The Greatest Love of All, um, which I don't know how I even knew those lyrics at that age, but they said they would call the neighbors over. They'd be like, oh, look at our boy. He's he's singing The Greatest Love of All uh, is inside of me. (laughs) And uh, that was how I I entertained my family. But I, I distinctly remember uh, writing coming along because writing was just something that I enjoyed to do. I mean, like as early as kindergarten, I wrote the real book of dinosaurs, which was really just me like plagiarizing my favorite sentences. 
out of my favorite other dinosaur books. And just, so really I was an aggregator. I was a content aggregator, uh, not a plagiarist. Um, I was just, I was just collecting my favorite dinosaur facts into one compendium. Um, I think it had like eight pages. I did the illustrations and my kindergarten teacher liked it enough that we put it, they, they actually put it in the uh, elementary school library. Um, so that I got published at the age of five, I, I always joke. But even as uh, early as the age of eight, I wrote a spy novel called The Adventures of Royce Riddle. And Royce Riddle, um, you know, he was basically, he merged my love of history. I was really into World War II at the time. Um, and James Bond, because he was a black spy who was infiltrating the Nazis. Now, I don't know how a black man can really infiltrate the Nazis uh, in 1939 Germany, but my, my character did, and I didn't even go into any explanation of it. Uh, you know, I just told what I thought was an exciting uh, 50 page spy story. I typed it all out and uh, asked my father to teach me how to like bind it. Like I remember sewing the bind of it and, uh, and that, that got put in the library too. And both of those books are out there somewhere. I think they're in the custody of my sister Pam now because she has most of the stuff that ended up in my mother's, uh, you know, it's most of the stuff that might belong to my mom when she passed in 2014 was passed on to my sister, Pam. So I, it's somewhere safe. I don't, I don't know exactly where it is, but at some point I'll, I'll put all that stuff back out there and, and people can get both real facts about dinosaurs and uh, an exciting spy novel that I should probably proofread before I put back out there. I don't know, I might, might read like an eight-year-old wrote it. That is a fascinating story. I would want to see that, the Black Nazi <laughs> infiltration story. Yeah, man. A little bit of that with Black Klansmen, even though that was a true story. That was a true story. I feel like my guy infiltrated a lot of like, uh, like I feel like he poses a waiter a lot, you know? Like I think I did sort of in the back of my mind think like, okay, how's he gonna get close to Hitler so he can assassinate him? And I think that that was how he did it a lot of times. It was like a waiter here, a, a, a Jeep driver there, like, you know, uh, even in my eight year old brain, there was, there was some search for the logic of it all, but like really I was there for the thrills and I loved Indiana Jones and James Bond. And I think those two characters had a big impact on me as a kid. And I don't think it was an accident that I named him Royce Riddle because at the time I thought, man, what's a fancy car, Rolls Royce. And of course his last name had to be Riddle because I had to see myself in the character. So even way back, <laughs> I, was, I was for representation. Listen, <laughs> representation matters. So it's, it's yeah. that you're, you're doing that at such a young age. And we're seeing representation being done now with what you're doing with uh, Sherman Showcase and obviously what we're seeing now. Um, we're, we're big fans of your work at, here at BGN. And, and oh, thanks. I mean, the, the cool thing about Sherman Showcase and uh, Southside is that we don't have to really try to be diverse. Like we're oh. literally just telling the stories and, and, and the sketches and the songs, you know, like Sherman Showcase for those who don't know is like Soul Train uh, but it's sort of like a, it's like, I always say if 30 Rock took place at SNL, Sherman Showcase takes place at Soul Train. So, yeah. you know, we, you know, that, that's obviously going to be, you know, what I like to jokingly call our Marvel universe of black music. So instead of Spider-Man and the Hulk, you've got, you know, we do our versions of Prince and Earth, Wind and & Fire and, and a lot of different, like, you know, we were some of the first people to do like a house track, uh, you know. Uh, recently, you know, now I know Drake and Beyonce, they're both, they're doing house, but, you know, I like to think that we've, we've never given up on that art form. I think that there's something joyous about a song, which the BPM is like sort of fast that 120 BPM. So that's how we do that show. And then Southside, I mean, like, look, we go to Chicago, we cast, 
99.9% Chicago actors, actors from the South side, like people who are from the South side are just like, man, I've seen so many of my neighbors and people I know and actors and community, you know, theater actors. And just, I mean, like we don't really fly in anybody from LA. I'll say the people who live in LA who you've seen on South side are usually originally from either the South side or the West side of Chicago. So I know that little rail for you, for you purists out there, he is technically, yes, he's from the West side, but you know, everybody from Chance the Rapper, Dion Cole, like so many of these other actors that you see pop up on our show are Southsiders. And I take great pride in the fact that our show, Southside does not depend on a lot of celebrity casting. We go out of our way to cast actors. Uh, I'm saying actors, but obviously I mean actors and actresses that are all primarily from the from the South Side. And, and I'm the only writer uh, and producer on the show, not from the South Side of Chicago. So everybody's from the south side we try to keep it really authentic and uh and yeah i'm so proud of both of our shows the black girl nerds podcast will return in just a moment ZocDoc is a free app that shows you doctors who are patient reviewed take your insurance and are available when you need them on ZocDoc, you can find every specialist under the sun whether you're trying to straighten those teeth fix an achy back get that mole checked out or anything else ZocDoc has you covered. ZocDoc's mobile app is as easy as ordering a ride to a restaurant or getting delivery to your house. Just search, find, and book doctors with just a few taps. You can go to ZocDoc.com, find a doctor that's right for you, book an appointment in person or remotely that works for your schedule. Find and review local doctors. Read verified patient reviews from people who made real appointments. Now, when you walk into that doctor's office, you're all set to see someone in your network who gets you. Every month, millions of people use ZocDoc, and I'm one of them. It's my go-to whenever I need to find and book a quality doctor. Go to ZocDoc.com BGN and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then start your search for a top-rated doctor today. Many are available within 24 hours. That's Z-O-C-D-O-C dot com slash B-G-N. ZocDoc dot com slash B-G-N. It sounds like it's truly a homegrown show. So that's amazing. They're, they're, they're both really homegrown. I'll say that uh, Sherman Showcase, you know, the animator, I'm mar- first off, I'm married to the choreographer. And uh, the animator is my nephew. And, you know, we kind of go out of our way on both shows. Because you'll see there's a lot of crossover on both shows. Both mm-hmm. shows use a lot of people that Bashir and I have either <laughs> been related to our entire lives, <laughs> uh, gone to school with. Uh, Joe in a vest a- on Sherman Showcase, a.k.a. Pervert Joe on Southside is just a college buddy of ours. He's not even an actor which makes me happy because sometimes people will be like, you know who my favorite actor is? That, that Jonah Vest, that, that pervert Joe. And I'm like, his name is Keith. And he, uh, we went to college with him. Um, you know, just whether they're actors that we've met along the way, we just always try and make both of our shows and all of our shows because we have more in the way. We try to make them family. I love it. A family affair. That is amazing. I, I'm curious to know, you know, they say in the entertainment industry that comedy is notoriously hard to do. Would you agree that the genre is difficult or is it something where you need to have a gift to do it? 
I think there does have to be a little bit of a gift to do it. Some people just are funny, you know, and everybody has those people in their life who you're just like, you know what, even when you're not trying to be funny, you're just one of the funniest people I know. I mean, I'll tell you the twins on that on Southside, you know, they, they, they were not actors before Southside, you know, Bashir was just like, you know, everybody I talk to in this business, who's a comedian will tell you about that one person who's, who lives back home in their neighborhood who would never think of going into Hollywood, but they're one of the funniest people that you know. And he would always bring up the twins. So what we did was when we got paid the money to write the script for Southside by Comedy Central, we took that money and instead of, you know, celebrating it, buying bottle service that night, (laughs) we took that money and we shot what is known in the business as a sizzle reel. That's when you, you know, it's just you shoot with your friends and your family and you just try and come up with a proof of concept to say, hey, this is what we're thinking the show is going to look like and sound like. And the nice thing about that was that I think that if we had tried to just write the script, hand it into the network, A, they may not have understood how the show comes across. Because anybody who's seen that show in particular knows that, like, it doesn't sound like most scripted shows. It's written, All the dialogue is completely written, but it's written in a very authentic way. So they might have pushed back on that. And more importantly, if we had just turned in a script... They would have definitely recommended some of the actors and actresses who Hollywood is desperate to work with because they're all talented. Um, but, you know, it would have been very hard for us to say, hey, instead of these people who you're already excited about, what about these people who've never acted before? Like that is just something that never happens in this business. I think that's one of the things that makes that show so unique is that there's so many actors and actresses. It's their, literally their first time acting in anything like re- that's really getting seen, you know, Um and I think that that's one of the reasons why we really enjoy doing that show is because we get to bring in non-traditional people who are just funny. I think, yes, I think that there is a gift that's there. And and I didn't really believe the comedy was that hard until I saw more and more of my favorite dramatic actors and actresses try to be funny. And I'm like, oh, my God, they can't do this. They can't do this. I've met very few comedic actors who can't pull out that drama bone. But I've met so many drama, uh, dramatically trained thespians, as you will, uh, who just have, who really struggle with the comedy sometimes. And then I really love it when you come across that guy who you've only, that guy or girl who you've only seen do serious work. And then you find out, oh my gosh, there's a talented comedic voice inside of you too. You know, like I, we've worked with that too. And that's always a little bit of a shock, but you know, I bet it shouldn't be. I mean, I grew up loving the Naked Gun movie. And at the core of those movies was Leslie Nielsen, who his entire career, he was a serious, he was a cowboy, he was a detective, he was always serious. And they did the Naked Gun movies and you find out, oh, he's a goofball. You know what I mean? Like that was always kind of cool. Right. And then you got like on the flip side of that, you've got actors like Jim Carrey that can do really serious stuff or like Marlon Absolutely. Been able I'll to- tell you what, man, to talk to Marlon about it. And I've heard Robin Williams before he passed talk about it too. Most really talented comedic actors actually feel like it's much easier to go from comedy to drama than it is to go from drama to comedy. And look, it, sometimes it doesn't work. I'm not going to call anybody out, but we know some of those, some of our favorite stand-ups have tried to go dramatic and you're like, I don't know if I can do this. It doesn't always work. So it's, it's, it's not a hard that, and fast rule. Do you think it's because that comedy is kind of birthed and bred from pain that that's why that transition is a little easier? Oh, I don't know. You know, I don't know. Or is Look, that just a thing that people just say because it sounds cool? I think <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that all comedy comes from pain. Bashir and I have talked a lot about this. We always feel like our comedy, and I'm not saying that we're the ultimate comedy guys, but I'll say that our comedy comes from a lot of joy. Our comedy comes from sitting around, you know, I'm one of six kids. He's one of eight. 
we came up with these, you know, black dinner tables where everybody's trying to be the funniest person at the table. You know what I mean? Like if there's any pain that comes from the black dinner table, it's the pain and maybe not getting fed that night because <laughs> your jokes were falling flat. But no, seriously, like it comes from us actually wanting to get back to that joyful place of like just sitting around trying to make our family members laugh. You know, we both come from these families where everybody's trying to be the funniest and there is a level of competition there. Um, but we, but we respect that. You know what I mean? Like we, we really, you know, enjoy, right. In fact, we replicate that with our writer's rooms. Our writer's rooms are not all black, like our families, but they will be, you know, there'll be a lot of black people around the table as well as a few diversity hires, you know, the white guys, the white guys and, and women we bring on, you know, just to, just to show that we're not racist. Uh, actually that, that, that sounds flippant, but we've worked with uh, everybody from Michael Blyden, who's an integral part of, of Southside um, white guy. Very, very funny, integral part of it. Bennett Walsh is, is, is a really funny dude who's been on both Southside and Sherman Showcase. And I'd be loath to not bring up the name Matthew Piedmont, who is a former SNL writer, again, white guy, uh, who has had a very you know strong hand in bringing together South, uh, sorry, Sherman Showcase. Um, we just make sure the funniest people are at the table. And I think that that uh, comes across. And we, we, all of our tables are, you know, I think Southside might be majority women uh, at that table. So we always got out of our way, honestly, just to make sure that the funniest people, not, we don't, we don't say, okay, we need a exactly two Asian women. At the, we don't do that. We just, we read people's scripts. We hire the funniest writers. And it just so happens that often uh, there's some really talented black uh, writers of every gender who are just not getting read or seen. And we, we come across their scripts and we like them and, uh, and then we hire them. I love it. I love to see yeah. it. I went down this YouTube rabbit hole, which. <laughs> I think I know where this is going. Yeah, sometimes it's not a good thing, but I wanted to get your take on this since I knew I was going to be interviewing a comedian. Mm -hmm. and this was not on purpose. This was just an accident. So maybe I don't know where this is going. Where, where is this going? Let's see. So, so the YouTube rabbit hole was, um, I saw the controversy that happened with Carlos Mencia. Mm -hmm and the mm. book stealing yeah and i wanted to know what your thoughts were about like joke stealing in general because i guess it is still kind of still a thing in sure. the comedy industry and mm -hmm. then also parallel thinking right which is where you know people just think they heard something absolutely you know? absolutely and they're, so, and they're so different i mean i think the problem carlos mencia fell into is if you play the cosby routine and his routine back to back it's got like this same it's not even just the same joke area it's like the same delivery it's the same beats like yeah like it's just like there's no way that he didn't you know that that was really in a weird way i feel like that was unfortunate for him i feel like he was one of those people who got caught in the early youtube days and you know he probably didn't think anybody was ever going to you know fit, you know put one and one together you know and yet that's exactly what happened um so and he, I feel like he's definitely paid a price because I never even hear about him anymore. Um, right. But then there are other places where, like, you know, you're often in the writer's room and someone will make a joke and someone will say, I mean, it's, it's a cliche to say, oh, The Simpsons did it. because The Simpsons has been on the air for 30 years. So a lot of times people will say a joke that they don't know was on The Simpsons, but it's just like, you know, it, it feels like a joke that should be made. And, like, sometimes people tell a joke, it'll be like, oh, you know, um, 
Will Miles, you know, shout out to Will Miles. Will Miles has a joke very similar to that in his set right now. You know what I mean? Like, so we, it's not just famous comedians or even shows that have come before. Sometimes it's like people who are actively on the scene who are making that joke right now, you know? And I've looked in, in the face of famous comedians and been like, I don't think you should do that joke because that's sort of, you know, John Mulaney's thing or that's Marlon Wayans' thing or that's Dave Chappelle's thing. And, you know, you don't get the sense that they're taking for these people. It's just that, you know, whoever, to a certain extent, it's like finding a gold mine. Whoever got there first and stakes the claim, you know? Because um, a lot of us will think of it. To me, it's always a little bit of a warning, like, well, maybe it wasn't that clever if somebody has already come up with that. And maybe I need to come up with my own take on that because it seems like you know a lot of other people have already come up with that take i mean like if anything use it as, as an advantage uh to, to walk away from something even if you love it just walk away from it and see if you can come up with another angle you know that doesn't sound like somebody else's right absolutely you and and bashir are writing partners who pretty much work exclusively together um yeah. but writing a uh, writing a project solo it can have its own set of challenges but is it harder or is it easier collaborating with someone when you're putting together a script? I mean, I think, you know, we've been working together for a long time. <laughs> I was trying to think, how long has it been? It's been almost two decades. You know, we've been in college. So we've been, we've been around. And I think that at this point, you know, I get sort of predict when I come up with a joke that I think the share was going to love or when he comes up with a joke, sometimes he'll be like, I thought I wrote this because I thought you'd, you'd like it. Like, you know, at this point, we are definitely two brains that sort of know what to expect the other's strengths and, and I won't say weaknesses, but, you know, we just we work so damn much together that like just nothing uh, is hard to figure out. So I actually, I, I think it might be difficult to write something solo. Now that's not to say that we actually write everything 50, 50, you know, there are definitely projects that he'll do the first pass on and send it to me. And then I'll do the first sort of what we, what we would call an editing pass on it and vice versa. There are definitely been projects that I take the lead on. So Every project is a little different, um, but we always weigh in on every project together. Like nothing goes in without, you know, us feeling like, okay, I've done my work, he's done his work now. This is something that both of us are very proud of. So, uh, you know, collaboration is just, uh, it's a little bit of everything. I know that in some writing partnerships, one guy is known as the joke guy and the other guy is known as the story guy. I don't think that's really the case in ours. You know, I think that, if anything, one of us will come up with a concept and help the other one figure it out. You know, so there are definitely times when it's like that. And then sometimes a famous person or a studio or something will bring us an idea and then we'll work on it together and push it back to them. So, is there ever a time where you insist this joke has to go in the script? <laughs> like, nah, no, we, 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 we give each other veto power on individual projects. So, if there's a project that he's got veto power, then yeah, if we reach an impasse, which does happen sometimes, you know, just be like, well, look, I really think you need to consider, you know, cutting this joke or, you know, I really think you need to consider adding this joke like that definitely does happen. Um, I think at the end of the day, what we usually decide is we usually find some middle ground, you know, which is not to say that we water anything down. Usually when one of us feels strongly about something, the other one's like, hey, go for it. But, uh, you know, listen, there are definitely times when like, we don't necessarily see eye to eye, but here's one thing I know for a fact. We definitely listen to each other. It's never like, oh, you always say that you hate these kind of jokes. I'm putting it in anyway. We don't do a lot of that, you know, which is great. So, you know, without without letting people too much behind the curtain to know like, oh, 
uh, <laughs> Diallo doesn't like these kind of jokes. Bashir doesn't like these kind of jokes. I think that at the end of the day, we always go out of our way to, to give the other one honest audience and then go forward. Aside from your shows, of course, are there any TV shows right now that you're just like geeking out about? Like you just love this show. Man, I haven't had the chance to watch nearly as many shows as I would like right now. Um, you know, like I will say that we have six projects in development in addition to the two shows that we have in active production. Wow. It's a lot. And so it doesn't leave me with a whole, somebody came over the other night and was like, hey, have you seen this, you know, show that everybody's talking about? And um, I was just like, no, I haven't had a chance to watch anything. I do make special time for the things that I can watch with my older uh, kids. Uh, they're huge on Stranger Things. So we're all caught up on that. Mm-hmm. Um, waiting to see how this whole storyline with Vecna works out. Um, we definitely will watch Obi-Wan and most of anything on, oh, you yeah. know, in the Star Wars collection on, on Disney Plus. We'll definitely do that. Um, and, and there are shows that I have on my watch list that I'm like desperate to check out. But until I check them out, until I'm actively looking at my phone with this little list that I keep, I probably, it'd be hard for me to tell. A part of me wants to see the offer just because I, I, I do love a good, how do, how do people make it in this business story? And uh, the offer being about the making of the Godfather has some stuff that I don't know that much about. Like apparently the actual Bob got involved. So I'm excited to yeah. maybe check that out. Um, and then I'm always a big fan of science fiction, which is one of the reasons why I love you guys, because you guys let me know about you know, not just the superhero stuff, but like the science fiction and the horror and the, uh, and the, and the, and the genres that black people just don't get to play enough in, you know, like, I, I'm so happy that we're developing something that's horror right now. Uh, I'm not developing anything that's a uh, uh, film noir right now, but I want to. Um, and, uh, you know, so, so I, those are the things that I really gravitate to as if Stranger Things and, and Obi-Wan didn't already let you know that. Yeah, I'm I'm really loving what Jordan Peele is doing in the horror space. So yeah, it's always, always. I can't wait to see Nope. Yes, yes, me too. So you've made appearances on several shows, Blackish, Insecure, Caribbean Your Enthusiasm. Is there a show that you've got booked on where you just geeked out about the opportunity of working with a certain celebrity? And was it hard to be focused on that show? <laughs> or maybe um, just the writers that are on the show that you got really listen. Listen, there, there are times every comedian will say there are times when you're when you're hot and sometimes when just for whatever reason you're not my biggest regret in this business is that when i booked that episode of kirby enthusiasm i went in there and anybody who knows how kirby enthusiasm works they don't have a script they just tell you what the scene is about and you're just supposed to have fun with david now with larry david and i was just like the biggest seinfeld fan the biggest kirby enthusiasm fan you know, meet him five minutes before we got to go on. I'm geeking out a little bit, but I'm also very professional. For whatever reason, the material that they had us to say that, you know, episode, it just wasn't that funny once we got to doing it. You know what I mean? And I just remember thinking, like, if there's any day that I want to be on, it's like right now. You know what I'm saying? It's like if I'm, you know, an R&B singer and I get the chance to sing with, you know, <laughs> why is Michael Jackson the first name? To but, but, you know, that's how I felt. Like, I felt like, this is my hero. I want to impress him. And for whatever reason, that day that we shot it, it just it wasn't coming out that great. It, it didn't come out that great. And also that episode had like 20 famous guest stars. So of course, our scene got cut down to like almost nothing. So that is a day that like, you know, I feel like uh, it, it, it's, it's the day that haunts me. And I, by the way, 
that has never happened before or since. I mean, like I felt the same way the first time I finally got to work with Beats Array on Insecure. I went into that uh, day of shooting and I mean, shout out to Issa, shout out to Amy Aniobi and all the other wonderful people over there. Uh, you know, I feel like they used everything that I did that day, you know what I mean? And you can tell like that day I was just like, I felt like I was among family and I was just having a blast. Like it was so much fun. And, you know, the things that they wrote for my character were great. When we started doing ad libs, they were all hitting, you know, we had the extras laughing. So, you know, just, it's a, it's a crazy business in that there are some days, just like when you're a writer and you just can't get past that one chapter that's annoying the hell out of you. Uh, there, are, there are just going to be some days when it just doesn't come to you, you know, and then there are going to be other days when you just like, this is, I, I feel like I'm flying. And, you know, I remember that my day on Insecure, it felt like I was flying. Yeah, indeed. What's been the best part of your journey so far in this business? I'll tell you one of the best times I've had is uh, the two seasons I did uh, just acting, just acting with Marlon Wayans. I always say that he is the nicest guy who I've ever not previously known coming into this business. Like he's just nice. You know what I mean? Like he'll call and ask how your kids are doing. You know what I mean? He'll, he'll call you up and say, Hey, come with me to Vegas. And you're like, no, I'm with my kids, <laughs> you know, you never know how it's going to work out with them, but he's just, he's just the best. And, 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 you know, we always go out of our way to make sure that everybody's nice to each other on the Sherman showcase set and on the South side set. But I got to say that Marlon said, everybody was so happy and so loving. Um, it was amazing. And I feel like it was, it, you know, considering that we were on an NBC show and everybody watched it and then it went to Netflix and I got to meet Marlon and Essence and Brisha, Essence Atkins and Brisha Webb, who I did not know before that, but uh, we've stayed friends. And even the, even the kids, uh, shout out to Notlam Taylor and Amir O'Neill, like, you know, every single part of that show uh, just felt warm and comfortable and like family. And I think it really came across in those episodes because to this day, uh, I've done how many seasons of Southside and how many seasons of Sherman Showcase. I still would say that the majority of people come up to me and say, hey, I know you. They they call me Stevie. They call me my character from Marlin. And I think that that speaks volumes about how much people just love to watch that show with families. I think that the the business. I think Hollywood got tired of the uh, what they call the multicam format. You know, like when there's either a laugh track or a live studio audience, and it all takes place on stage. I think Hollywood basically has has tried multiple times to give up on that format. But when I go back home and visit my family you know, in rural Georgia or in Florida or just anywhere outside of like New York and LA, they're still watching those shows. You know what I mean? Like they're still watching reruns of Martin and, and, and girlfriends and living single. Like America has never gotten tired of those shows. And I think that one thing that Bashir and I really want to do, um, you know, knock on all the wood, all the prayers, all the good vibes. I think we really want to write at some point a multicam because I just think that it's like you stage a play if the chemistry with the actors and the actresses is good on those shows, it's like nothing else on TV. And I think that that's the reason why people still watch those shows. Amazing. Well, Diallo, it was such a pleasure talking to you. Thank you so much for the opportunity to chat with us here on Black Girl Nerds. I really want to be able to see the Nazi infiltration. Um, <laughs> story come well, and when I find that book, I'll tell you, I will, I will say it to you. Let me just say one more thing uh, before we go. And that's that yeah. I had specifically you guys in mind when I wrote a specific song uh, in season two of Sherman Showcase. I wrote a song called Black Nerd. And oh. 
Uh, yeah, and I and I only reason I didn't call it black girl is because I wanted I wanted to be a part of the group. <laughs> but I'm telling you, I think it I think it sort of represents what it's like when your interests are just buried uh, in a unique way. And um, whether it's you know, we obviously have a couple of patrons, patron and matron saints in the in the black nerd uh, canon. Uh, Octavia Butler comes to mind, but I think that what yes. what we really want to do. I wrote a song and I just spoke about some of the stuff that I like, you know, and I think it's so cool now when I see black teenagers not sort of like getting hated on by their peers for being nerds. I, it makes me so happy. It makes me think even in this world where things are constantly going wrong and going south, uh, you know, so, some things are better. And I think that the general acceptance that black kids can be nerds too is a really good thing. So I want to do an ode to that. That's coming in season two of, of Sherman Showcase, which comes out this fall. And uh, if, if, if I can, I'll, I'll sneak in advance copy. Please do. Please do. And thank you so much for just hiding or highlighting rather Black nerddom and representing us because uh, the, the community is flourishing and um, it's good to see us represented not only online, yeah. but on, on television as well. So thank you. <laughs> no, thank you. <laughs> well, thanks for having me. Thank you. Really appreciate the chat. And um, yeah, I look forward to seeing you on socials and all of that. See you soon. Okay, take care. Bye. Bye. The Black Girl Nerds podcast is produced by Jamie Broadnax and Ryan Bennett. The opening theme song to our show is written and performed by Samus. Various instrumentals are performed by Samus, Sky Blue, and Shubzilla. You can find episodes of the Black Girl Nerds podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play Music, Stitcher, and Spotify.